We uh, are continuing this morning uh, our study of uh, the book of Colossians and a sort of series within a series, uh, in a sense, uh, in that as we came to chapter 3 and now begin to carry into chapter 4, we're seeing that uh, having unpacked in the first two chapters of this letter the realities uh, that have uh, been brought about through Jesus Christ and his death, his life, his death, his resurrection. And Paul has focused on who Christ is, on what he has done, what he's accomplished in the cross and in his resurrection for his people. Now he gets into chapter 3 and continues through uh, the rest of the letter, applying those realities to the daily experience and life of the people of God, both individually and collectively. So what we've been seeing over these last several weeks is that being a Christian means very simply being united to Jesus Christ and then living more and more and more out of the resources that are already ours in Him. As Christians, Paul has said, we are, we are presently citizens of heaven. That's hard to understand, isn't it, living in this world? But Paul is saying, we are, as Christians, citizens in heaven. So, therefore, we're to live out that heavenly life here in every facet and aspect of our lives. And that even though our lives are still yours and mine, still shot through with weakness and with failure and with sin, the reality, Paul is saying, is that we really are, by faith in Christ, united to him. We really are new men and women and children in Christ. And so what we've been seeing over the last couple of weeks as we've talked about gospel transformation is that this new identity is intended to keep transforming both our inner private lives and our outward public lives, affecting and changing both our, our, our affections, our thoughts, our desires, our words, our actions, everything about us. And it's this new life in Christ that Paul is still talking about uh, when, when he gets to chapter 3, verse 18, which is where we pick up today. And what he's saying is that this new life in Christ has to be worked out in the most basic of relationships. And so he looks at marriage, and he looks at family life with parents and children, and he looks at the way we conduct ourselves in the workplace, whether we're in authority or under authority, or both. So one of the commentators, F.F. Uh, F. Bruce, um, whose quote is on the front of the bulletin, says this, it's in the closest and most familiar relationships of daily living that the reality of one's Christian profession will normally be manifest, if at all. So with these things in mind, let's read this passage of God's Word. It's printed for you in your bulletin. Colossians 3, 18 through 4, 1. This is God's word. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Slaves, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, 
but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily, as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your slaves justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. So as Paul addresses this church and as God through his word addresses this church, addresses us, the first thing that he says is that this new life in Christ, to, be, to have died in him, to have been raised in him, to have your life hidden with him in God, to, to be alive to God through Jesus Christ, means first of all, at least in this text, means the transformation of marriage. You see, he begins with wives. He's going to say that belonging to Christ transforms the way that husbands and wives relate to one another. And he begins with wives. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Paul isn't talking about first century customs. This is not a time or culture bound uh, sort of instruction that we can dismiss as distant and far removed from our own space and time. He's talking, in fact, about the order and design of God in the very creation of man and woman. From the beginning, there's been a built in relationship. I say built in, built into the very fabric of the created order. From the very beginning, there's been this built-in relationship of headship and of submission between a husband and his wife. We see this throughout the scripture, many places. We certainly see it in Ephesians 5, verses 22 and 24, where Paul says this, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. And then he unpacks more fully the rationale for this. For the husband is the head of the wife even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Just as you have Christ, church, you have husband, wife. This is what Paul is saying, is, as he goes on to say, fitting in the Lord. What an interesting phrase that is. It's fitting in the Lord for wives to submit to their husbands. In other words, this is what is appropriate for you in light of your relationship to the Lord, to Christ. Let me put it another way. It is a sign that the new creation in Jesus Christ is really underway when you as a wife are submitting to your husband. In other words, the way that a wife relates to, their, to her husband really just mirrors the way she's relating to Christ. Submission does not mean that, that a wife is less than her husband. That's the objection that some people raise, but that's not what God is talking about. Submitting to your husband means that you honor and respect him and follow him recognizing that God has given him an authority over you for your good and that while you are equals, you have different 
and complementary roles in marriage. So he's saying this is yet one more way that you show that you really do call Christ Lord. And then he goes on to husbands. And you'll notice that's the pattern, not only here in Colossians, everywhere in the New Testament where these household rules are given, Paul or Peter, as the case may be, always begins with the one who's under authority and then proceeds to the one who's in authority. And so he does here with husbands, with very clear and powerful instructions for husbands as well. Husbands, he says, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. And you can see how fitting that is because having said, wives, in the Lord, it's fitting that you would submit to your husbands. That is a vulnerable position for a wife to be in. And so very quickly, Paul says to husbands now, that means you love her and do not be harsh with her. Do not abuse that position. We can't read this, I I think, without recalling Ephesians 5.23. Husbands, love your wives. How? As Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So what does it mean for husbands to love their wives? It means self-sacrifice. It means putting their interests ahead of our own. It means taking loving responsibility for them. And notice how Paul further defines the husband's responsibility to his wife. Love your wives and, what? Do not be harsh with them. The word that's translated be harsh is actually, it's it's in the passive voice. What Paul is saying is not just don't be harsh. He's not just speaking against harsh action. He's actually using a word that gets down at a, at a deep heart attitude that a, that a man may have toward his wife. He's saying, husbands, don't be embittered towards your wife. Don't have an attitude of criticism and uh, anger and resentment and hostility and antagonism and accusation toward her. Isn't that just how sinful human nature works. God puts man in a position of headship over his wife and it's, it's, the, the man becomes prone to a spirit of resentment and judgment and criticism. Don't so many of us, there's, prob- there's not a husband of us in the room who hasn't seen that in his own life if we have eyes to see. To criticize, to keep track, to keep score in our minds and in our hearts of the failings of our wives, whether they actually are failings of our wives or not. And Paul says, do not be harsh with them. Of course, the flip side, the positive commands we can find earlier in the passage, what he's saying is husbands, to love your wives means to be compassionate, to be kind, to be humble, to be meek, to be patient, to be forgiving, to put love over all of those things in your conduct towards your wife. You see Paul's logic as husbands, if our wives are called to submit to us, then we had better be extremely careful not to hurt them, but to build them up in the Lord, to encourage them. And so just as the submission of a wife to her husband is a way in which she shows that she is calling Christ Lord, 
So the love of a husband for his wife is a way for us to demonstrate that we truly have called Christ our Lord. And so the transformation of marriage is part of new life in Christ. This is part of what it looks like to live in and under the Lord Jesus. But secondly, Paul goes on in verses 20 to 21 to look at the transformation of the family, in particular the parent-child relationship. You notice what he says. He begins with children. Verses, uh, in verse 20, Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Now this is an opportunity, we all need to hear this, but it's an opportunity for me especially to speak to those of you who are, some of you may be old enough to where you, you, you wouldn't want to be called a child. But l- let me speak to all of you who are uh, living in your parents' home under their authority. You might be four or five or six or ten or fifteen or seventeen. But listen to what God is saying to you in His Word. God commands you to obey your parents. It's that simple. He tells you, you children must obey your parents. If you are going to be a loving, obedient child of your heavenly father, then it starts by being a loving and obedient child of your earthly parents. That's God's design. Obey your parents, he says, what? In everything. Not sometimes. Not when you agree. Always. Obeying your parents has never been popular. Okay? Obeying your parents is not popular. Obeying your parents is not what peer pressure will lead you to. Obeying your parents, rather making fun of your parents, is popular. Laughing with your friends about how foolish your parents are and how unreasonable they are, that's popular. Seeking ways to avoid obeying them, that's popular. But God's not pleased with that. God is not pleased when His children disobey their parents. That's not how he intends you to live. New life in Christ has not been won for you and given to you so that you can disregard your parents. But do you know what pleases God? You know that God is pleased when you obey your parents? That he is pleased when you live respectfully and obediently under their authority? In fact, just as, just as the way a wife relates to her husband and a husband to his wife, just as that is a, is a, is a picture of, of that person's true relationship with God, so you children, the way you relate to your parents is an accurate picture of how you're relating to God. So this is what new life in Christ really looks like. It looks like children obeying their parents gladly and willingly and all the time. That's what new life in Christ looks like. That's real life. And then Paul, of course, speaks to parents. And especially, he singles out fathers here. Fathers and mothers have responsibility for their children. 
But throughout Scripture, you see that God places a special load of responsibility on a father. And so the fathers are singled out here. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Think about it this way. Don't make it hard for your children to obey you. Don't make it impossible for them to please you. Don't discourage them. As a father, you have to require obedience. To do so is the opposite of love, according to the Bible. But don't do it in such a way that your children lose heart. Isn't it true that as a father, we can wield our authority in a way that's harsh, in a way that's unloving, in a way that's inconsistent, even in a way that's, un, that's hypocritical. That is, we require of our children what we ourselves are not willing to do. And when we do that, it really hurts our children. It can embitter them. It can discourage them. Maybe even so much that they will quit trying to please you at all. So Paul says, oh, fathers, remember the tenderness of God's authority over you. He demands everything of you, your whole life. But he never crushes you. Be that way with your children because they're his children too. So don't hurt them. Don't discourage them. And so Paul says, wives, submit to your husbands. Husbands, love your wives. Children, obey your parents. Parents, do not, especially fathers, do not provoke and discourage your children. And then he moves on, having addressed these relationships. He now speaks into another relationship that was a household relationship at the time when Paul wrote this letter. And it's the relationship between uh, a slave and their master, a bondservant and the earthly master. Very common arrangement uh, in the Roman world in the first century. Uh, In many cases, slaves had become Christians and masters had become Christians. In fact, Paul, uh, as he sends this letter uh, back to the city of Colossae, in fact, in the hands of a man named Onesimus. Uh, Many of you know the story, Onesimus Uh, was the slave of Philemon. They both lived in Colossae and were part of the church in Colossae. Onesimus had run away, apparently had stolen from his master, found his way to Rome, and, and in the providence of God, of all people, he meets the Apostle Paul and becomes a Christian. And he becomes very useful to Paul. And Paul grows very fond of Onesimus and realizes that Onesimus needs to go back to his master Philemon. And so Paul also writes the letter, to Philemon, which accompanied the letter to the Colossians, as well as the letter to the Ephesian church. And the three letters went in the hands of Tychicus and Onesimus back to Colossae. So Paul is speaking specifically into the Christian home, uh, not only of Onesimus and Philemon, but, but throughout this empire and throughout this region where this was a a common arrangement in both slave and master in this context needed to be taught to understand how their new identity in Christ was to transform that relationship too. Now, this arrangement is foreign to us now, mercifully. But we can take what Paul says to slaves and masters here and learn from it how belonging to Christ transforms 
our work relationships as those who are under authority and or in authority over others. And so first of all, we see that belonging to Christ transforms how you behave at work toward those in authority over you. Notice what he says, bond servants, Christian workers, employees, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, by, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he's done, and there's no partiality. Now, do you hear what God is saying to you then? He's saying, as a Christian who is in a position of working under the authority of another, you are to obey that authority. In fact, you're to obey them in everything, not if they're telling you to do something illegal, not if they're telling you to break the law of God, to violate the word of God, of course, but you're to do, to put it simply, what your boss tells you to do. Be submissive and obedient to that authority because God's placed you underneath it. But more than that, he says you're to obey not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. In other words, don't just do the, 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 the minimum you have to do to get by. Don't just do your job when the boss is watching. Don't just do your job when you're being evaluated. Don't just do your job when you've got some review coming up. That's what he calls eye service. That's being people-pleasing. What's the problem with that? The problem is you're forgetting, let me put it this way, the problem is you're pleasing the wrong person. You're not really pleasing your earthly boss that way anyway, but what you're forgetting is that your real master is the Lord in heaven. You're not working out of the fear or reverence for Christ. So if you belong to Jesus and are part of his new creation, then Paul's saying you obey in your work sincerely from the heart. You do it heartily. You do it with, with, with gusto, with zeal. People don't have to tell you to do it. You just do it because you do it for Christ, even when no one's watching, even when no one will find out. People can count on you to do what's expected of you, and even more. That you're reliable, that you're consistent, that you're faithful because you serve Christ. It's the Lord you're serving. You're not working for a promotion. You're not working for recognition. You're not working for the praise of men. You're working for a heavenly reward from your true master, the Lord Jesus Christ. But Paul doesn't stop there. He speaks also of those who are in positions of authority at work. That's true of some of you here as well. Some of you are in positions where you have people underneath you in your work, people who answer to you, to you who are under your authority. You're the boss. You're the master. And Paul addresses you too, says that belonging to Christ has to transform the way you conduct yourself as well. And so what does he say? He says you're to treat your servants, those under you, justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. You don't take advantage of your employees or act as if you own them. You pay them fairly, not just what you can 
get away with. You don't make harsh or unreasonable demands of them. And Paul ultimately gives this one reason, because you also have a master. You have a master in heaven. You may run the office, you may run the business, you may run the store, but no matter who you are, you are not the top dog. You, too, have a master in heaven. That's very interesting, because what Paul says here about the slaves and the masters, uh, one pastor uh, put it this way, which I find so helpful. What Paul says here are the seeds that grew to transform the whole master-slave relationship so that the awful form of slavery that existed in the Roman world eventually crumbled. Not by a sudden revolution, but by the inward working and transformation of the power of the gospel, these relationships become so transformed that the whole institution uh, ceases to exist in that, in that culture. It's an incredibly, this whole text about wives and husbands and children and parents and uh, workers and masters is such an incredibly practical and powerful text. And if we see it in the context of this letter, what it's intended to be is a beautiful and specific picture of society transformed and impacted by the gospel of Jesus Christ. The wife is living for her husband. The husband is thinking all the time of the well-being of his wife. The children gladly and immediately obey their parents. And the father is always encouraging them and building them up, shepherding them. The servant working for his master wholeheartedly. The master treating the servant with justice and with fairness. It's a beautiful picture of self-sacrificing, Christ-centered, Christ-oriented Christ-honoring relationships that are the outflow of the gospel of Jesus Christ at work in their hearts and minds and lives. Sometimes it's helpful to drive the, home, drive the point home by thinking about the opposite. So what is the, what is the anti-Colossians 3.18 to 4.1? Because sadly, we see it too often, not only outside the church, that's not primarily our concern, but within the church. Often we see the wife does what she wants and doesn't care what the husband thinks. The husband does what he wants, regardless of how it affects or hurts his wife. The children are disobedient and out of control and the father threatening and screaming at them and, and always being against them and yet his life looks really the same as theirs. The servant only does his job when people are watching and even then he does it badly and the master keeps the servant half starved and is inconsiderate and unfair in his demands. Now, How does that happen? It happens when, under Christ, we forget our calling, our role. We forget that we all, every one of us, in every situation in life, whatever our calling, whatever our role, whatever our situation, whatever the relationship, we are under Christ and in Christ. And so this anti-Colossians 3.18 to 4.1 is not what God calls us to. It's Colossians 3.18 to 4.1 that God calls us to. He's called us to something far greater, far better. And in that calling to wives and husbands and children and parents and uh, workers and masters, in that calling, God is seeking His glory. He's seeking our good, our peace, our joy. 
And so what Paul is presenting to this church and what we're having laid out for us today is that belonging to Christ means having these basic relationships transformed and made beautiful and pleasing to God so that you remember what Jesus says about his disciples? So that people in Athens, people where you work, people you live around, people who know your family, who watch you, because you know that's happening. Everybody's watching everybody else. And that they would see you and say, I've never seen a marriage work like that before. I've never seen children so respectful and obedient of their parents and parents so kind and encouraging in their authority over their children. I've never seen such hearty work. I've never seen such fair treatment. What's your, what's your deal? Well, my deal is that I'm in Christ. And that this is how he's teaching me to live in, in him, in fellowship with him. This is part of the new life, the, the new world that he's bringing about. Because everything that Paul says here is just an application of our new identity in Christ. The passage, if you notice, is full of imperatives, isn't it? Wives do this, husbands do this, children do this or don't do this, fathers do this, slaves do this, masters do this. It's full of imperatives, commands. And but, but what do we always say? I hope, I hope this is getting so drilled into you that it's just like walking. The relationship between the indicatives of the Bible and the imperatives of the Bible. In other words, grammar terms here on a Sunday morning. Those things which are already presently reality in Christ, indicatives, and those things which are commands, things that we're to do because of our identity in Christ. The relationship is that the indicatives always come before and lay the groundwork for the imperatives, and the imperatives always follow the indicatives. Never one without the other. Indicatives always first, but they both come together all the time. They're always rooted in the indicatives, the present realities of the gospel. And it's no different here, because I want you to notice in this text, and you look at, you look at it. He says wives and husbands and children and parents and slaves and masters, but you know what he says even more? Look at, look at the text. The Lord. The Lord. Fearing the Lord. The Lord. From the Lord. Serving the Lord. Master in heaven. You see the point? The great indicative that runs throughout this passage is you have an identity that is fixed and anchored and tethered to the Lord Jesus Christ who came not to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many, who came not to seek his, his own advancement but rather laid aside what was rightfully his and took on the form of a servant and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And therefore, God highly exalted him. And so Paul is just working that same theme out and saying that we are in the Lord as Christian men, Christian women, Christian children, and our lives are always to be directed to the Lord. That's why these imperatives are here for us. Because we belong to the Lord and live under his authority, this is what life is to look like in the kingdom of Christ. And it's a great opportunity for us to let the beauty and the power and the love of Christ and his gospel shine in our homes, shine in our lives. Now, the honest truth is there's, there's, there's not one of us in this room who's not failing in these areas. 
What do you think it's been like for me as a husband and a father to live in this text this week? I know what it's like for you, therefore, to sit where you are and listen to this text today. And if you're a Christian, husband, or wife, or child, or parent, or worker, or boss, you're sitting there and you're thinking, oh God, I want to live this way. But I, I, I have fallen so short. I have not submitted to my husband. I've resented his authority over me. I've not loved my wife. I've been critical and harsh with her and placed her in a very difficult position because of my attitude. I've not obeyed my parents. I've been angry towards them. I've been, I've been subversive of their authority. I've argued and been a pain to them. I've not loved my children. I've discouraged them. I've hurt them. I've wounded them. I've not done my work well in a way that honors Christ. I've not treated those under my authority in a way that's honorable and just and fair. But God, I want to do that more. You see? And so this text does what God's imperatives always do. It shows you a beautiful picture of what God is like and what life in His kingdom is like. And as Justin said earlier, it's an x-ray. And you look at that x-ray and you say wow, I'm really sick. And I really need Christ again this week. I really need to remember that His blood covers all of my sin. I need to remember that, that my standing before God is completely based on His righteousness, not my own. I need to remember that His power really is at work in me so that I'm not left alone in this life to follow God. God. God doesn't give us a blueprint for life and then leave us to work it out on our own. He tells us to work it out, but He promises that as we're doing it, He's actually the one who's working in us to change what we want, to change how we live, to change what we think. So as you sit there this morning and you think about your own failures and sins, this is a wonderful time for you, certainly, to repent, right? For all of us. To confess to God the ways in which we have not lived according to, to the, our new identity in Jesus Christ. Now, let, let me really make it hard and wonderful. It's a great opportunity for us to go home and confess to each other in our families where we've sinned against each other. I've not loved you. I've not done these things. Please forgive me. I'm seeking God's grace to help me. Please pray for me. To go home. For some of you, that, that could be the beginning of something really amazingly, wonderfully new. In your family life, with your, with your wife, with your husband, with your children, with your parents. Don't wait for the other to take the initiative. You do it. You humble yourself. Because the truth is that as we seek God's grace together, there are always, as Paul has been saying in this letter, limitless supplies of the grace of God available to his children. It never runs out. It never comes up short. God forgives us when we sin and when we fail. He will keep working in us. He will be patient and kind to us. He will help us. 
And he will do all of this because he loves you, his children. He loves us and he loves to put his power and his grace and his glory on display in our lives. New life. New relationships. It's like heaven on earth. Like a little little colony of heaven right on earth. By the grace of God, the power of God, to the glory of God.